In 1999, in a weekly meeting of the five most senior executives at Texaco, our boss, the chief executive officer, asked whether the company lacked vision. The global energy industry was in the midst of great consolidation, with legendary giants merging and famous brands disappearing. I was a relative newcomer to this world, and it felt like a game of billion-dollar musical chairs played around the circular table of a plush, walnut-paneled conference room. We sensed we were losing, and I was surprised by the muffled response to the boss's question. If there was a vision for the company beyond just making money, no one in that room knew what it was. The moment resonated with me for a different reason. According to scripture, without a vision, the people will perish. I knew that lesson well. Growing up with no money, I knew my family had a simple vision, to no longer be broke. Though we occasionally lived from hand to mouth, my grandmother hated for us to describe ourselves as poor. We're broke, she declared. Broke is temporary. Splitting rhetorical hairs seemed odd when we were hungry, but my grandmother's message conveyed a much larger truth, especially in that place and in those times. She taught us to imagine a life that was better than or different from our own and then to work for it. The south side of Chicago was like a small southern town in the 1950s and 60s. Many of the inhabitants were recent arrivals from down home, as they called it, the cotton fields of Mississippi and Georgia, the tobacco fields of the Carolinas, or the railroad yards of Arkansas and Louisiana. People spoke like Southerners, with a lyrical quality to their speech. Subjects and verbs rarely agreed, and sentences had the rhythm and pace of the South. Everyone communicated by telling stories, often allegorical, never hurried. The old folks quoted scripture freely and from memory, my Grandma Sally's favorite was the 91st Psalm, which she summoned when she was stressed. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. The elderly also carried themselves with a courtliness that belied their lack of formal education and proper English. You were expected to greet others on the street with good morning or good afternoon. Kids addressed adults as sir or ma'am. Scowling down on us were the infamous Robert Taylor homes, a miles-long stretch of identical 17-story projects which would become synonymous with the public housing woes of urban America. But most people I knew lived in two- and three-story tenements with an apartment or two on each floor. There was block after block of these squat, solid-looking brick or frame buildings with rickety railings, chipped concrete steps, and porches whose boards needed replacing. Clotheslines were strung across postage stamp backyards or connected to back porches from separate buildings. A few families kept chickens in a backyard coop for eggs and meat. The front stoops, with their folding lawn chairs, drew neighbors outside on summer evenings. Churches and schools provided stability. The stockyards, where cattle and pigs were brought from the Great Plains for slaughter, were a short bus ride away. You could smell the stench in our neighborhood when the wind was right. In the summer, a horse-drawn wagon cruised our streets, the fresh fruit arrayed on a bed of hay and the driver yodeling, Watermelons! to attract his customers. 
On those same roads limped a menacing man with a misaligned eye who pushed a crude wooden cart on bicycle tires, offering to sharpen knives on a stone that screeched when it spun. Much of life seemed to center on food, getting it, preparing it, doing without it. Tiny makeshift gardens miraculously yielded collard greens, tomatoes, and pole beans. Great pots of greens with ham hocks or fatbacks simmered all day long on small apartment ranges. Black cast-iron skillets sizzled with porgies or fish that were caught in Lake Michigan or even the Washington Park lagoons, gutted and scaled, rolled in cornmeal and fried in bacon fat. The latter rendered from many a breakfast and kept in an old coffee can on the stove. Cornbread, easy, cheap, and filling, was served with everything. Whatever was for dinner, it was considered bad form not to offer something to a neighborhood kid who was hungry. And in that neighborhood, someone was always hungry. The smells were full of flavor and anticipation, with one outstanding exception. When someone was cooking chitterlings, pig intestines stewed for hours in broth, the stink drove out all bystanders. <laughs>